Hello, welcome to Bell Territory. I'm Hannah Kaiser, filling in as host for Scott Braun with AJ, Eric, Todd, and we're going to be joined later by Matt Gelb, Gordon Wittenmeyer, and Max Muncy. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> I matched. I have one hat shirt, that would too. match your hair, and I'm I matching it. Todd, Todd tried to. He tried to match your hair. Like you have no idea how how effervescently we were singing your praises the rest of the days to Scott. We were actually trying to get Scott kicked off, so I'm not sure if you're signed on for the rest of the time. I don't know. And it's AJ's colorblind, so it's only the second work day of the year. It's only the second work day of the year, and and Scott is not here, so I don't know. Maybe yeah, you we'll need me. All right, let's start today and charge the mound with the Pirates pre-screening questions from fans at FanFest. So this was courtesy of a tweet about the FanFest, the upcoming FanFest. Someone took a screenshot of the fact that it says if you want to ask any questions, you should submit them ahead of time. How do we feel about this? Jesus. I, I just think it's the Pirates doing what the pirates kind of do it's uh over questions you don't have to answer every question i i don't understand that so it's um it's kind of fishy it's kind of weird you're screening questions is there was there a problem in the past was there a lot of f-bombs put on these questions maybe i mean other than that you know let let the fans just be the fans let them ask whatever they want i think they have a right to ask what do you think guys yeah yeah i mean it's it's the pirates fan fest it's not the pirates telling you what's going like this is an opportunity this is what the connection is with your team that you've sucked out of this city because you don't pay anything for players you don't bring anybody in you don't try to win you just try to develop in the 10-year plan and all this stuff and then you're sucking the one thing that to me I think Pirates fan base could be a top five fan base and obviously I'm being biased everybody's going to say that in their city but they absolutely come out and support their sports in that town. And the Pirates have given them no reason to support them, and yet they're still around. And, like, this is their one chance. Why would you screen them? If somebody asks a dumb question, I, you know, I feel like they're trying to, like, protect Bob Nutting. Like, if Bob doesn't want to answer a question, okay, we won't answer it. Like, it's totally no. fine. Like, you haven't this, – this is worse than not answering the question. This yes. is brutal. Okay. I want to follow up on something both of you said as like from a reporter's perspective. You don't – we can't compel you. We reporters, the fans who attend FanFest, we don't have truth serum on us. Like we cannot compel you to say something you don't want to say. So if you know you're going to get asked about payroll or specific players or whatever it is, think of that ahead of time. Come up with whatever little – you know, Bob Nutting approved answer that's gonna not look great and perhaps be a little evasive and skirt the issue or whatever it is, but you can prepare for that ahead of time. And even that looks better than being unwilling to even stomach the question. This, you know what I'm saying? Like, right. It's like, you don't have to answer the question. Somebody asks you something you don't want to, you don't have a good answer to talk around it, talk about something else. But to pre-screen is admitting that there are things that fans reasonably want to know about that you are unwilling to even broach the subject. 
Or how about just being honest? I, I, I think <laughs> we, get a, we get away from that. If somebody asks you a question about money or why you're spending, well, right now we don't want to. Or, you know, the old generic, find a generic answer, like something like you can't, you can't do this. This is something so ridiculous and so small and minuscule that to do that kind of crap, it really is. It's crap, man. You got to be able to, you know, basically be a man. Or whoever, whoever's running that shit, Bob, whatever, whoever it is, answer the damn questions, man. That's why you got this job. It's one day out of the year. Hey, we don't want to spend right now. Sorry, this is the way our team's going to be. Boom, move on. Keep it short and simple. I mean, this is, it's just unbelievable. It just goes to show these type of people who they are, man. It, it's really, it's really weird. Just, just strange. Exactly. The, the most frustrating thing that I think fans feel towards owners is that you bought this team. You wanted to be in this position. You presumably or you know uh generously we could say worked hard to be in this position where you have the opportunity to buy a baseball team to be the person who gets to ride at the front of the float when the parade and the parade when you guys win the world series don't you want to be there you know what I mean? right it's like it it makes it seem like this is pirates fan fest these are the your fans these are the yeah. people who want to spend a day in their winter Getting excited about the pirates. The fact that you would hide from those people is really disgraceful. Agreed. Did the White Sox ever do any fan fan fest things? Mm-hmm. They did. You were you were there for it, Todd? I was I was there for the one. Yeah, for the one year. It was it wasn't you know crazy big. They announced the players, fans, and there was no problems. I mean, AJ can attest to it. But um, you know, at the end of the day, it was real simple. If you had a question, you asked it. And then you answered it. That, that was there. The Reds were really good. I mean, they <coughs> they had, honestly, everybody would be on stage. And, you know, whether it was four players at a time or three coaches or five of the brass, they'd get a half hour to an hour and fans would come up with questions, hard hitting, and you'd answer them. And that would be, you know, the biggest showcase of the whole thing. That's what fans wanted to see. Yeah. All right. We got any last thoughts on this or should we move on? If if the Dodgers did this, if the Dodgers did this, if the Rays did this, if the, I mean, there's so many teams that if they did this, you'd be like, ah, you know, that's tough. And I think the White Sox actually canceled their fan fest the last, this year and the last two years. That's why, that's why I asked that Todd. But like, because it's the Pirates, because the Pirates are just, just mired in this muck of build, tear down, don't spend no more than $10 million. Now, all of a sudden, like to me, this would be the year. This would be the year. Let it out. Like we spent, we spent on, we spent over our $10 million threshold. We acquired two people in the off season. I mean, you didn't acquire like monsters, but (laughs) you extended Brian Reynolds to the biggest contract that you've given anybody. Like, it's not they're not doing unbelievable stuff but they're doing more than they did before this wouldn't be the time to do it just poor poor pr planning and in my opinion unless they're really trying to cover something up like like you said if you're winning it's a different story like when covid happened i think a lot of teams got away with it just because of that fact but now they're starting to get back into it a little bit but yes if you're winning shit man nobody worries about that when when you're losing (laughs) up here comes another thing here comes another thing yeah Come on, let's go here. All right. In uh, signing news, international signing news, the Padres signed Wu Suk Go from KBO. That's the Korean Baseball League. 
actually don't know what the O stands for, the, the KBO, they from Korea, who is apparently married to uh, other Korean baseball player, San Francisco Giants outfielder Jung Ho Lee's sister. So we now have brother-in-laws from the KBO in the National League West. I didn't know anything about this pitcher that the Padres signed. So I am just going to read very briefly from the uh, Fangraph scouting report. This is what they have to say on Wuxugo Wusuko. A powerful, compact athlete with big arm speed goes a, middle, a solid middle-inning relief prospect with a bevy of offerings. He mostly leans on his mid-90s fastball and low-90s cutter, but he'll occasionally break off a nasty 12-6 to curveball, too. He led the KBO in saves and in K for per walk, so strikeouts over walk, in 2022, and he was first in strikeout percentage among pitchers with at least 30 innings in 2023. So... A decent signing for the Padres. The middle <laughs> <of> the- <laughs> I don't know. No. You should have uh, said G Willikers. You should have said G yeah. Willikers. They did it again. Yeah. I mean, the pod, the Padres have had success, or maybe not. Yeah, success. You know, when they signed Kim, that turned out really well. They signed um, Suarez out of Japan. He's not Japanese, but they signed him out of Japan. So. They clearly have something that they like, the model that they like, because they've had two successful signings that have turned out well in the big leagues. Suarez had a little bit of a down year last year, but <clears throat> you see them going after, no pun intended, go, going after these types of players, finding value there. And as much as people are going to give the Padres a hard time for not doing well last year, they should still be a really decent team. Don't look at who else is in the division. Don't look at what the fact that the Diamondbacks went to the World Series, the fact that the Dodgers have bought everyone. The Padres should still be a good team because of the money they've spent. So I like stuff like that. As much as I am a huge baseball fan, I know nothing about Wu Suk Go. But if he is the type of player that they've been picking out of out of the MPB and the KBO, he's going to be successful. Like a middle relief arm to add with uh, Matsui they signed earlier out of Japan. I think it's, it's, it's ingenious because they can't – they have to add around the fringes. They have to add around the fringes to make this team a full 26-man roster. Hey, do you guys know another brother-in-law in Major Two. League Baseball? Two. Go ahead. Garrett Cole yep. and Brandon Crawford. Do you know the mm-hmm. other one? No. I don't, I don't know the, the other one. That I That's know. the only one I know. <laughs> Javi Baez and Ooh. Oh. No, uh, there's two. There's one more after that. I got another one. What is it? It's Javi Baez and uh Berrios. Was it Berrios? And, and then do you know the third one? It just popped in my head. I forgot. Yonder Alonzo and Manny Machado. Nah, that doesn't count. Yonder's not playing. No, well, that's good. Uh, you know what? Well, what? Hold on. Hold on. Manny's playing, so I get half a point. No. Yonder's not playing, but that's why Yonder got, got better. Because Manny said, look, I'm not going to hit with you if you're going to keep hitting singles up the middle. And so Yonder started. <laughs> Yonder, true story. Ask Yonder about it. Started hitting dingers then. Maybe that wasn't it, but. That's funny. Either way. Pretty I, cool. I think you made a good point, though, about how, like, the Padres, they had such a bad, disappointing 2023, but you're right. They can't, they're not going to 
tear down a team that has Manny Machado and Fernando Tatis Jr. And even if they trade Juan Soto, you're right. They had to find a way to be like, okay, we obviously could be good again. How do we improve without doing what we did last offseason and just, you know, spending a ton of money and blowing it out in every direction? So I like this. I do. Agreed. Could be like a silver lining here. I think they're trying to do something here. Yeah, I, I think it could could be a really good pickup. You never know. We don't know how he's going to do in America. We'll see. It's. Do you think this is a thing, a question that I had at the end of last season, which is like, if the Padres had just completely run it back, exactly the same team, same manager, even like they could win a division, right? Like they have the talent. It's such a trick. And in some ways that's a trickier spot to be in where you're like, all right, we should, I guess, react to what our difficult season, disappointing season we had, but also it's a team that could win a division. So what are you supposed to do? All right. Let's talk about elsewhere in the NL West, the team that we've probably spent most of the offseason talking about. The Dodgers, we got a little bit more detail on the Yoshinobu Yamamoto contract, specifically around opt-outs. So the language of this, the date, it's going to sound complicated, but in short, it's a 12-year contract, record $325 million. He has two opt-outs. When he gets those opt-outs is contingent on whether or not he has Tommy John surgery or otherwise misses essentially a whole season or 134 consecutive service days with right elbow injury. If he does not miss any time, he can opt out uh, after, what is it, 29 yep. and 31, 31. Yep. which are crazy years <laughs> to think about. And if he does have an injury, <laughs> then his opt-outs would be after 2031 and 2033. He also gets an opt-out if he is traded at any point he will get an opt-out at the end of whatever season he is traded in thoughts reactions just the dodgers trying to take the time back if they lose him right it's a smart play by the dodgers and yamamoto it's good for him he still gets two opt-outs it just matters on the time yeah i just i honestly think it's you think about when people sign. Like, I remember when I was like, man, I can't wait to sign my first, you know, free agent wise. I want, you know, I want the best hotel room. I want this and that. And like, these are some inklings to things where you don't even think are even possible. And it's like, man, they must have really sat down and thought about these situations, you know, one side to the next. Like, all right, well, you want this, we want that. I, I would love to be a fly on the wall for this banter that they go back and forth to figure this out. But yeah, I mean, the Dodgers. It just seems like they are on the ball on everything here when they make these deals. And I, and I, I think it makes it appetizing for players to go there. And um, I think it helps out on both sides. All right, Todd, you mentioned the perks. This, this, uh, this article from the Associated Press also includes his contract includes a full-time interpreter, personal trainer, physical therapist, a hotel suite on road trips, and five round-trip airline tickets each year. So they did really think of everything. <laughs> That's pretty sweet. It is um, five round trip tickets. That's so. What are we thinking? He's is he thinking he's not making the all stars? He's gonna go back home for those five days. Oof. No, no, you're no. Fine. you're flying family. I know. I'm I'm busting chops. Yeah, it's all family stuff. That's what you get when you go over to Japan. When you go play in Japan, you get X amount of flights. You get you get all that kind of stuff. It's very similar 
obviously not the 325 million. <laughs> the whole opt out and like the injury language. I'm sure that's a tough, touchy subject for MLB to sign off on that because they don't want to give away any guaranteed money. But I know, you know, the, the case I always think of is John Lackey because he signed and I bring it up all the time during his seven year deal. And I'm not sure who he originally signed that with, if it was with Boston or who, but if he got injured, if his elbow got injured at any time during the seven years, it's it, it, he had to play, I guess the last year at league minimum, something like that. So it, they, I've heard it before, but all that kind of stuff was way out of my pay scale. Lackey, Lackey was smart. He had a good agent. That's why his agent thought of it. Everything. And yeah, his last year he had to play in St. Louis. He played at league minimum because he missed that year with Tommy John. So he literally so played. Add that on? or No, like it was already there. But because he missed that year, he had to pay. It was in the contract that if he, instead of making whatever he was supposed to make, it kicked it into 500 grand. Okay. So he, whatever so he would have made, it would have been the sixth or seventh year, whatever. <laughs> But instead, it, it's not like it was like a six-year contract, and then he had to play one more year on that contract no, at no, league no. minimum. Yeah, no, I don't. Th I don't believe it was. It was just. It was just a. It was almost like an option that the team had that they could pick so it up. Easily if you pick it up, year. right? Yeah. All right, we have a guest waiting in the wings. We gotta bring him in. We are gonna talk to the Phillies beat writer for the Athletic, formerly of the Philadelphia Inquirer, Matt. Gelb. They asked me who I wanted to talk to, and I was completely biased because I am from Philly and I am a Philly fan. But also, Matt, I loved your Charlie Manuel story. I don't have a smart question. So before we pepper you with Philly's offseason questions, I just tell us about how the Charlie Manuel story came together and, and tell people who didn't read it why they should. Yeah, I mean, Charlie suffered a stroke uh, back in September, and uh, you know at the time there was there was uh, a, a lot of concern for him. Uh, Phillies released a statement saying, you know, please, you know, share your thoughts and prayers for the next 24 hours. I mean, it was really touch and go for him, and uh, you know he hasn't really talked at all uh, in in the months since, and there's been a reason for that, and that's because you know one of the residual effects of the stroke was. Uh, he, he, he lost his ability to, to really speak for a while. And, you know, I wrote, uh, went down to Florida to see Charlie and his wife, Missy, um, you know, two people I've known for a long time. Now I covered Charlie uh, when he managed the Phillies uh, years ago. Grazie, you played for Charlie. I mean, I know you guys have interacted with Charlie over the years. And, um, you know, he's just a beloved figure in Philadelphia, a beloved figure in baseball, uh, you know, 60 years in the sport. Uh, he, he turns 80 uh, tomorrow, actually. So, uh, I, I wanted to write something and, they, you know, they let me come down there and spend some time with them. And uh, it's really remarkable to see uh, the progress he's made in his speaking. Uh, you know, he's diagnosed with what you, know, you would call aphasia, which is a, a typical you know, symptom of a stroke. And uh, he's moving around fine. He's definitely speaking better. And, you know, his big goal is to, to be at spring training. He still has a job in the Phillies front office. And, you know, it, it's a little more ceremonial than anything, but he's still around a lot during the season. Uh, would be there for a lot of home games. He'd go scout the minor leagues. Um, he still loves being at the ballpark, and he's really made it his goal to be uh, at spring training. And uh, the feature was just about his sort of progress back and how baseball has really helped him. I mean, he loves to talk hitting. <laughs> you guys know that if you've ever talked to him, he loves to talk hitting. And, you know, for a while, he couldn't really talk about anything. And so 
um, talking about hitting and talking about baseball has really helped him get his, you know, get his speaking back. Yeah, you painted, you paint, I, I love the article. You painted Charlie in exactly how Charlie is, like the whole, like, you know, his accent and how people saw that as like ignorance and he hated it. And you even mentioned that in the article, how he hated people seeing him because of his accent as ignorant and how this like speech thing is, you know, will kind of like lead into that too. So he's kind of dealt with that forever. Is there anybody opening day since the Phillies didn't win the World Series last year? Is there anybody that would get a bigger standing ovation than Charlie Manuel if he were to be called if he were to be called out of the dugout? Uh, yeah, I mean, no question. Like, if he's able and willing and wants to do it, him throwing out the first pitch or being there for the ceremonial first pitch uh, on opening day uh, against the Braves at Citizens Bank Park uh, would be awesome. Uh, I know that they, you know, I mentioned this in the story. They had talked about you know, had they gotten to the World Series last year, you know, whether Charlie could come up and, and, and come on the field for a first pitch. And um, obviously they didn't make the World Series and to make that decision. But I think he I don't know if he would have done it because I think he was just he was really um, he was not in a great place. He was depressed because he didn't want people to, to to hear, you know, the way he was talking or not talking. And, um, you know, he was concerned about that. But uh, I think he's got a lot of confidence back. And, uh, you know, he's worked with with uh, speech therapists and, you know, has really put a lot of effort into um, you know, being able to be back around baseball, um, that is his life. All right. So to the team, have they done enough? And before you answer, have they done enough? Could a team, because the Phillies and Braves, they're kind of right in there. They've shown that they're right together. The Braves were clearly regular season. They're a better team, but they play, you know, they beat them in the playoffs the last two seasons. Could the Phillies and Braves be teams that go in the beginning of the offseason? We're really good. We don't need to do anything. Or is that just never going to be something you're going to hear from a team? I, I don't think they've done enough. I, I think that there are different considerations. And you can look at it a few different ways, Kratzy. I mean, the Braves have been active around the edges of their roster. The Phillies, you know, re-signed Aaron Nolan. That really has been their only move outside some smaller things. But uh, they're two really good teams. Like, there's no question. I mean, they're great rosters. Uh, come postseason time. Remember, it's a different sport. You're going with like your 18 best guys, right? Your nine best position players and your eight or nine or you know, so best pitchers to try to get through October. The regular season is very, very, very different. And if I'm the Phillies right now, I don't think I've done enough because I need I need more pitching depth. I, I think I need some outfield depth. I need guys that are going to help me uh, in June and July and August when I have some injuries. Uh, they don't have the deepest uh, roster when it comes to AAA. Uh, so I think it is a strong team. I think it is a team that should contend again for a National League championship. Uh, I do think there's work for them to do. And, you know, we've seen the market move slowly, so it's not exactly – the Phillies have five set starters, so they can't really offer someone – you know, they were in on Yamamoto because, you know, it was a rare occasion where you have a, a, a potential ace-type pitcher who's 25 in the market. So every big market team was in on him. But um, I, I don't see them in on a big pitcher. Now they're just kind of waiting for other guys to sign, and they hope to get some depth. But – they need it. I mean, they really do not have a ton of rotation depth right now. Matt, what's the move then? What, what is the move? You just said they have five starters. The bullpen help. I mean, their lineup's pretty set, right? There's not a lot of spots in the lineup to go get somebody. So what's the move? Because they're kind of stuck. If you're saying they have five, yeah, they weren't in on Yamamoto. But, I mean, they're, if they had the money for him, Snell, Montgomery, one of those big-name pitchers, is, are they in on them? Or was this a Yamamoto or bust for the Phillies? They got – Nola back, and they're just going to say, hey, let's run it again, and hopefully a third time's a charm. 
Yeah, AJ, I mean, I think right now the move is just kind of wait around and see what happens. You know, I mean, they'll be, they'll monitor the market for these top end guys. And, um, you know, if, if somebody's market craters, which I, I don't see that happening with a Snell or Montgomery uh, or Hader, you know, but if one of those guys finds that he, he doesn't have a great offer, maybe the Phillies swoop in, you know, with a shorter term offer uh, and, and try to get the guy here. But I, I don't see that happening. So I think right now they're just kind of waiting around, see what shakes out of the trees and, you know, then go get your depth, you know, later this month. Um, because, yeah, you're right. I mean, you're not – if you're a pitcher who's trying to get a major league contract now or a guaranteed rotation spot, you're not looking at the Phillies and you're looking elsewhere. Um, but at some point, those opportunities will dry up. And if you're a pitcher who wants to, you know, be in an organization has a chance to win and say, okay, maybe I'll, I'll take this minor league deal, I'll go to AAA and know that I'm their sixth best option and that I'm most likely going to be in the majors at some point this year. But the guys aren't signing those deals right now. My question to you would be, there was a fan question here that we saw. Um, why would Bryce Harper even ask for an extension? What, what's, what's there to that? And, uh, you know, is that like a huge thing right now that he really needs and wants? It's odd. I mean, it's, it's an unusual case. I mean, I, I don't know that, uh, you know, he, he doesn't have an opt-out. You know, there really isn't a, a ton of leverage on Bryce Harper's side. I don't think he's unhappy. Uh, that's definitely not the case. Um, I, I do think there's an element, you know, of Scott Boris, who was the one who kind of announced this, you know, desire for an extension, uh, you know, wanting to get as much as he can for Bryce Harper. Remember, remember that crazy offseason where it was uh, Harper and Machado, you know, for months and months and months and we're falling along, falling along. And you know, Machado wanted an opt out in his contract and he negotiated that in there. Harper did not want an opt out because he said he didn't want to answer questions anymore about this. He wanted to pick his place. He wanted to be devoted to that place and stay there forever. Machado with his opt out, you know, he, he used it as leverage to get uh, even more money from the Padres. Uh, and I think maybe there's uh, maybe, I don't know if it's regret is the right word, but maybe uh, at least from the Boris side that they, they wish they would have had that opportunity to, to negotiate a bigger deal. Um, you know, by AAV standards, Harper is, uh, you know, still, uh, near the top. I mean, his $330 million total is, I think is still top 10 in baseball history. Um, it's not, I don't, you know, you could argue that he's underpaid given what he's done for the Phillies in recent years, you know, first five years of the contract. Uh, but on their, on the Phillies end, I don't think they see this as pressing business to me, the most, the guy who they want to extend right now. Uh, and I don't think these talks happen until spring, uh, but they will happen is Zach Wheeler who will be a free agent after the 2024 season. Uh, they would love to keep Zach Wheeler, uh, in the organization. Uh, he's obviously uh, one of the best starting pitchers uh, in baseball. He's aged really well. Uh, his contract has been uh, an incredible deal for the Phillies. And, uh, you know, I expect them to try to pursue an extension with Wheeler come spring training. Okay. I was going to ask you about the Wheeler extension. So you teed it up nicely. Yeah. You wrote that that was their most pressing piece of business that the Phillies have before opening day. And you set it up nicely there. So now I'm just going to ask you for your opinion. Do you think it gets done? I think so, Hannah. I mean, I think there's interest in both sides. Uh, you know, Wheeler really likes it in Philadelphia. He loves uh, pitching with Aaron Nolan. Now, Aaron Nolan will be in Philadelphia for another seven years. He has a strong relationship with Caleb Cotham, the pitching coach. Uh, you know, they, they're raising a family here in Philadelphia area. So I, I think he, he really likes the familiarity of it. Um, it, it then again, like, you know, it's not going to be a huge, huge discount. I mean, this guy, if he does get to free agency after this year, even though he is in his mid-30s, uh, we've seen teams – you know, really, really go, uh, you know, deep for these top of the line starters, even as they age, take Jacob DeGrom, Justin Verlander, 
Max Scherzer, and maybe Wheeler is not on that tier, maybe just below, uh, but it will take, you know, significant dollars to re-sign him, and I think the Phillies are interested there. So, uh, look, I thought the NOLA deal was going to get done last spring, and it probably should have gotten done given, you know, how everything ended up playing out. So it's not a slam dunk that the Wheeler deal gets done. Uh, but, I, I mean, I think there's a good chance that they can they can find some common ground in the spring and, and make something happen. And there's a little bit of extra pressure because the team I just mentioned, the Braves, Wheeler's from Georgia, so there might be there might be some pressure there that he could he could go home for his age thirty five to thirty seven seasons, and the Braves have money and they win anyway. That's my opinion, but so I think they you're right they need to get it done. Who are the two prospects that we need to actually watch for the Phillies? Guys that could come up because I don't think Painter is Painter going to be. He's not available at all this season, right? He had Tommy John. Might might come back for some minor league games near the very, very end, but, yeah, not an option in 2024. So who are the two guys that we need to take a look at or make sure, you know, could be big pieces for this team? Well, the first answer will kind of be a cop-out because he did pitch in the playoffs last year, but Orion Kirkering, you know, I think could be their closer at some point, you know, during the season. Uh, He may not break camp as their closer, but he's going to break camp, I expect, on the big league team. Uh, And this is a guy who pitched maybe three regular season games uh, for them last year, came up the end. Great story. Um, He he is why I think that they are not signing, you know, a a top end closer this offseason. They have that much faith in him. Uh, They have some pretty good pieces in their bullpen. So Kirkering is a guy who uh, I think is going to factor in even bigger uh, into their plans in 2024. And then the other guy I would list is Mick Abel, uh, who, you know, is one of the better uh, starting pitching prospects in the sport right now. Um, doesn't really have sort of the notoriety, I guess, that Andrew Painter does because Painter maybe was one of, you know, was the best or second best pitching prospect in baseball before he got hurt. Uh, but Abel to me is a guy, he, he pitched most of last season at double A. He finished at triple A. Uh, you know, he still needs to work on, on his command. You know, there's still some refining to do. He was a high school pick in the COVID draft, uh, but he's right there. I mean, this is a guy who comes come summertime, if they have a need in the rotation uh, and he's pitching well in the minors, uh, he will be in the majors. He will be an option for them. And they're not they're not banking on it, but they're hoping that he is somebody that they can turn to uh, if the need arises and if he's pitching well in the minors. Who, who Matt, who is their closer going to be? Is it going to be Alvarado? Is it going to be Kirkring, like you mentioned? Is it going to be someone else, Dominguez? Is there somebody that they've slotted in as their closer going into spring training? I know Alvarado's closed before, but they kind of don't love him, it seems like, in that situation. They had Kimbrell last year. So who steps into Kimbrell's role and takes over that job? I mean, AJ, they may not have a set guy coming out of, out that of never, camp. That, that never works, though. That ne- it's never <laughs> I know, works. It does, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's the thing is that last year they didn't have a set guy, and Alvarado really did take over the job in April. Then Alvarado gets hurt in early May. And all of a sudden, Kimbrell, who, you know, is probably a Hall of Famer, uh, steps in. And in May, June, and July, and August was just nails for them. Uh, I mean, and he was their guy. And even when Alvarado came back, Kimbrell was still the guy in the ninth inning. So if I had to guess, like, they go back to Alvarado because that was his job at the start of last year. He probably is their best reliever right now. Uh, but I, I could very well see Kirkering becoming the, the guy in the ninth inning sometime during the season. That would not surprise me at all. If you look on values, on Fangraphs values, not not debating Fangraphs or not, they have the Phillies as the number one pitching staff in baseball. You watch this team day in and day out. They haven't made a lot of changes. 
They lost Kimbrell. Whatever he did in the playoffs, he did well during the season. Do you agree? Or are you jaded because you watch too many Phillies games and you're kind of a negative Nelly? <laughs> you know me too well. Uh, I don't know if they're the best pitching staff in baseball. I think they're one of the best. I mean, the, the five guys they have in the rotation, and yes, I'm counting Christopher Sanchez, who, you know, from like July on was one of the best uh, starters in baseball for a period there. I mean, he he's a solid five, uh, and that's what he is. And I know Taiwan Walker did not pitch in the postseason, and there was a lot made of that. But you need guys like Taiwan Walker to get through six months and 162 games. He's a guy you hand on the ball, and you know he's going to give you five, six, seven innings, and he's generally going to keep you in games. Uh, he, you know, They had a very good record when Taiwan Walker started during the season this year, and there was a reason for that. So I, I look at the staff, and I think it's a really strong staff. Uh, I, I do think the depth is probably what – prevents me from saying they're the best in baseball. But if you're taking top-end talent, like to take the every team's eight or nine or ten best pitchers, they might be the best. They they have really good top-end talent. Uh, Ranger Suarez is a number three. It's is, is really good. You know, they're, they're, the, the, the last thing for Suarez to, to really conquer is durability, is to make 30 starts in the season. He's never done that. And, and that's that's a big goal for him this year. And it's a it's a strong unit. It really is. Okay, I'm going to go big picture again. You wrote in the beginning of your most recent notes column or questions column that the Phillies need to get off to a hotter start. I think you had some quotes from Rob Thompson about that. Like, they struggled out of the gate, I think, both, both of the last two years. But how do you reconcile that with a team that made a deep postseason run? Like, when you're a team that made a deep postseason run, are you thinking what went wrong was back in April, or are you thinking what went wrong was in October? Like, how do they balance evaluating their season, and how do you balance evaluating their season? I, I think, Hannah, it's a combination of both, but I think a lot of it, they do go back and look at what went wrong in the first two months, again, because this has happened two years in a row now. And, yes, the Phillies have made it to the World Series, and we're within one win of, the, of getting to the World Series in back-to-back years but they were not in the divisional race at all in both of those years. They were out of it by June 1. And I do think that being in a divisional race and challenging the Braves, actually challenging the Braves in 2024 during the regular season is important for them. Uh, they, they, you know, I don't know that they necessarily want to keep playing in these three-game wildcard series. And you know, they've mastered that. I guess they've mastered it so far, but uh, you know, those short series, and I know there's a debate about is it, you know, do you want the, you know, do you want the buy or do you want to play in the series? You want the buy. I mean, you don't want to have to risk playing a three game series and, 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 and weird stuff happening. So I think being in a divisional race would be really important for them. Now, yes, they go back to the NLCS last year and they look at some of the things that happened with the offense and the lineup. And, and yes, those are things that they are thinking about and talking about, especially all the chasing they did against the Diamondbacks pitchers uh, late in that series. But I do think one of the things that they're really going to focus on is, is how do we make sure that we don't have the problems in April and May that we had the last two years? It's important. Hasn't part of April and May, especially going back to 2022, they were like they were kind of slowing Zach Wheeler because he had a huge workload in 21. Hasn't it kind of been the dirt? I don't want to say durability, but the, hey, you know what? We're a really good team. We're going to play to make the playoffs because of the injuries. And on the ver- on the opposite side, the Braves were healthy. And then they went into the postseason both years 
finger issue. You can't do, you can't figure that out. You know injuries, but they didn't. And then and then Max Fried was sick the year before. Isn't it about hitting your stride at the end and maybe giving up a few games at the beginning, or do you think they really care about that? You know. Where, where's that? Where's that balance? It's a dichotomy of of doing both, and then hey, they've had success. So, I think there's a way to hit your stride, Kratzy, in the summer, but also not fall flat on your face to start the year. And they okay. that is really what Fair. they've done the last two years. I mean, they have been under 500. I think at June first, both both the last two years, um, which was not reflective of the talent on the roster. Obviously, they made a managerial change in 2022 because they started out so badly. Uh, there's a way, I don't, you know, I don't know that they have to go, you know, full on, you know, hundred percent, you know, like, like crazy, you know, you know, <laughs> we're not full go like right away. Like you're not trying to, you know, you're not managing like it's game seven in April, of course, but uh, I think there's a way for them to have a better start, but also, you know, be a team that's smart about how they're using their pitchers, how they're using their hitters uh, and just have an, you know, an overall better season that is reflective of this, of, the, the talent on the roster and also keeps them in the divisional race. I think that's important. <clears throat> Were you talking about Gabe Kapler? Not, not like April games aren't like October. Was that a Gabe <laughs> Kapler shot right there, Matt? Cause I, I thought you were a Gabe guy. And no, no shots. No shots. <laughs> uh, Matt, thank you so much for, th- I gotta know before you go, are you going to get this Charlie manual tweet framed, turned into business cards? I don't know if you guys saw, but Charlie has some very nice things to say about Matt Gelb's Too nice. About it. Too nice. <laughs> that was, that I was did... very kind. But, I mean, really, I was appreciative. I mean, both Charlie and Missy, like, you know, letting me, you know, spend some time with them and having the trust in me to share, you know, the story. I mean, I, that, that's um, really appreciative of that. And, and that's um, that means a lot. And uh, those words are way too kind. And after I get off, Kratz can just roast me you know, uh, for all the time interactions we had, he's, he's really, he's seen me for, you know, what I really am. (laughs) You make me cry every day, Matt. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, if anyone has not read the Charlie Manuel story, you should go read it. And thank you so much for coming on Matt. See you guys. Happy New Year. All right, Kratz, you want to roast him? I don't. I, I roasted him. I roasted him to his face. (laughs) Okay, good. Then we can, then we can move on. Yes. Not, and there's really nothing about baseball, but he just said Happy New Year. What's the moratorium on Happy New Year after the New Year? Because we're already into the third of January. So, like, is there a week? Is it three days? Like, you how long? Because you can say third? Happy New Year the in December third? and be like, Hey, Happy New Year. It is. It is. It was the New Year. I would. I would say by the end of the week. Yeah. The seventh. <clears throat> yeah. So this Sunday, then it's like. Yeah. All right, we got a weekend. We're but what good. if you don't see anybody for a little bit? Then, oh, then it's, it's hey, how you been? How you doing? Yeah, yeah. You know what I did one, one spring training? You know how everybody comes back? It's like, hey, how was your off season? How's the family kind of thing? I asked, how was your off season for the first three days of spring training to everybody? Like they thought, that, I was, they thought I was an idiot. But <laughs> Did you double ask anybody? Did you? They were like, you already asked this. Oh, everybody. Yeah. Everybody. All right. Easy. Well, January 3rd, we're still doing Happy New Year, right? Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I, it's well, a great question. That's why I was wondering what the what the like Christmas carols. Like, how long do you play Christmas carols? When do you mm. start them? When do you end them? I, I think you end them after the day after Christmas. I think they got to stop. Yeah, the day after. Happen. What if there's still what if there's still presents under the tree? Like you're doing like, you know, my wife's side of the family, and then my side of the family. Do we not play Christmas music? 
I wouldn't personally. Here's my, what I want to know. Christmas lights. There's the, there's a Taylor Swift song. That's a really good one. Where she's like, we can leave. There's a line in Taylor Swift song. She says, we can leave the Christmas lights up till January. And I was like, yeah, of course you can. But no shit. Yeah. That's when everybody leaves their Christmas lights up to. That's not, you're not saying anything new. Are we not all leaving our Christmas lights up till January? It's I'm getting I'm getting mine taken down January 6th. So I think mine's oh getting down on Saturday. You're well, getting you them taken say, down. You no, I'm, I'm not, happy you New think Year I'm going up on my down. roof? You crazy? <laughs> mine were taken down yesterday, so I'm way ahead of the curve. There you go. That's great. Mine are All Christmas has been eliminated from my house. Everything. Damn, that was quick. Everything. He's out on the curb and everything. When I get home from vacation at Christmas, like I did, it's gone. Christmas is over, kids. Wow. That's. I wish I could do it that fast. The thing about living in a city is everybody has to dispose of their Christmas trees on the street, and it's you know apartment buildings, so there's like piles of Christmas trees, which means that actually like January in New York smells like Christmas trees, and it yeah. feels very, it feels sort of uh, like retro seasonal. Okay, we're doing a segment because I've got a problem. This is our. <laughs> we get a problem segment intro. <laughs> we couldn't have photoshopped Hannah's face over Scott's. Oh, that would have been great. I'm also from New Jersey. That could have yeah. been about me. Yes. It wouldn't have. It wouldn't have looked good. Scott's picture. It freaks me out every time, and I don't care if it's one of Todd's cousins. The hand. In Scott's picture, the person like bites its nails and they're like super short nails and it wouldn't have, that wouldn't have been Hannah style. You know, I'm, I'm watching Sopranos for the first time right now. So I'm like very in a New Jersey mobster mindset. Yes, I I had never seen it years ago, like maybe eight years ago. I watched like the first two episodes and I was like, this is pretty violent. Uh, And I stopped. (laughs) And I've since toughened up, and I was like, you know what? I think I can handle it. And now I'm now I'm further into it, and I'm 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 all in now. I like it. Okay, we're doing we're calling it resolutions because that's a nice seasonal excuse for me to get to talk about some changes that I would like to see in 2024 in Major League Baseball. And because they are resolutions, I made them for individual groups or people or whatever. So okay, this is for everyone. In baseball, players, front office members, honestly, 29 of the 30 owners, I'd love to hear from you. Tell us what you really think of the A's situation. We have fans and media members and you guys out here all the time telling it like it is. What a travesty this is. And I think there is plenty of reason for plenty of people in baseball right now to be frustrated, to be mad, to be, what the heck? How come we don't know where they're going to play? What's happening with this? Why did they get their relocation fee waived? Why did they? Why did Major League Baseball approve a plan that seemingly answered none of the questions that other owners should have had for the A's? I am surprised genuinely that we do not hear more from other invested parties into what a mess this has been. Fine. You want to move the team to Vegas. That's on you. But you should at least have to present a viable plan that doesn't include several seasons worth of not even knowing where the team is going to play or 
like shouldn't other teams, other players, they should be like, where are we going? That's frustrating. That's on us. That's going to affect our careers, the players themselves, the minor leaguers, whatever. I'm, I want to hear in 2024 from people with invested stakes in Major League Baseball about their genuine feelings. And if you know what, if you think it's great, sure. I'd love to hear that too. Okay. For the players. Wow. More resolution for the players. Run even more. <clears throat> they change the rules around stolen bases, the, the pickoff attempts, the bigger bases, all that to try to get stolen bases up. And they were up, but not only were stolen bases up, the success rate was up to over 80%. And usually it's around 75%. And you know what that means? You guys aren't running enough. You need to be running more. If you're not getting caught 25% of the time, you're not trying. I want to see everyone pushing how far you can take these more lenient stolen base rules. Force the pitchers to come up with better pickoff moves if they're limited in how many times they can throw over. I think this is still a market inefficiency and untapped part of the game. You can afford to get that that success rate down a little if it means even more chaos on the base paths. Okay, that's two. For three, for the commissioner's office, admit that the ghost runner is an unnecessary bridge too far, especially in a post-pitch clock world. The ghost runner, I understand why it was introduced in 2020. I even understand why the need to limit some of the more extreme game times was an issue when game time was an issue. But now that we are addressing game time in the way that it really should be addressed, which is pulling out the dead time from in between at bats and from in between pitches, we don't need to be lopping off the end, the most exciting part of games artificially. And in fact, they've shortened the pitch clock even more from last year going into this year. I think I think if we had done it in reverse, we would have never gotten the ghost runner. And that seems like a terrible reason to forever be stuck with the ghost runner. Okay. I got two more for commentators, for people who talk about baseball, beware of the small sample size, but respect the small sample size. I fall victim to this every single season. Something happens early in the season. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe the pirates just to choose a random example, are going to the World Series because they were like 600 in April and May, and then they, you know, fall off a cliff. So beware of the small sample size. However, I also think there is a tendency from the more nerdy segment of the baseball commentating population to say, it's not real. That's a small sample size. It's not real. Oh, that guy's been hot for the first couple months. That's not quote unquote real. And we should differentiate between what is predictive and what is real because there is beauty in just appreciating what has already happened in baseball even if it happened over a small sample size and I think that in some ways the industry's focus on knowing what's going to come what is a predictive stat and sometimes robs us of our ability to appreciate unexpected things that have already happened. If a team totally overperforms for the first month, maybe that doesn't mean they're going to win the World Series or even be in the postseason or even finish over 500. But that's still fun. That's still interesting. We can still tell the story of that month in which they overperformed. And for the fans, finally, appreciate, this is similar, appreciate what the postseason is and what it isn't. 
I'm getting out ahead of this. I'm like nine months early. I just want to put it on everyone's radar. <laughs> the Dodgers are very, very good. They might not win the World Series, and that's okay. <laughs> I just don't know that we need to do another year of relitigating the postseason format just because the team we saw that was really good in January isn't the team standing at the end of October or November. That's part of the beauty of baseball. Enjoy it. If the Dodgers win a historic number of games in the regular season, that's incredible. That's amazing. That really happened. And if they don't have, if they get eliminated by, I don't know, the Phillies to choose a team at random in October, that's okay too. That's what the postseason is. Those are my resolutions. Do you guys have resolutions for me? You lost me on about the seventh one, Hannah. I'm sorry. Oh my gosh. <laughs> she said four, but wait, she's like got three and she's like no, seven more. And I'm like, wait a minute. Four. There were five, maybe. Yeah, She's four, been waiting five. for this moment for a while, I think. There was, I, I'm so glad you asked. That was a nice diatribe. That was nice. He doesn't even, he doesn't even like to be have the word New Year's in anything. So he, he's just this is just 2024 for AJ. Yes. Do you, well, AJ, do you have a resolution for us? For I, I do. And it kind of plays off yours, and it's going to – I don't uh, – mine is I just want every team to try. I'm sick of mm. teams, like you mentioned the A's and you mentioned the Pirates already. I want teams to try. I, I miss the old days where every team was trying to get better and every team was trying to put their best product on the field. And I just wish there was a way. I, and again, I'm not calling for this, but like a minimum salary to where teams are, hey, we have to spend, I don't know, 50, 60, 70, whatever the number is to at least make us have to try. Because it's so annoying if you're a fan of the Pirates, if you're a fan of the A's, if you're a fan of some of these teams that just aren't trying, you go into the year and you're like, why would I watch these games? Oh, because we're not, we're gonna try and lose hundred games again. Like tanking sucks in every sport, but especially sucks in baseball because it's such a long, hard road back. I love that. I yeah. love that. I think. I think if we'll never be able to get to that point because minor leagues is way different than it is in European soccer. But relegation, some type of form of American relegation, is would make all these teams try a lot harder. I get it. You'd still have teams that wouldn't. You, you, it's like fantasy football. You don't want to finish last, but I like that. My New Year's resolution is for Major League Baseball to sell the game to the fans currently. Not the way they used to sell it, but currently. And my idea, they've, all, they've kind of touched on it a little bit. You watch the game. What does everybody say? You watch the Sunday night game. Oh, I wonder who they're micing up. How about if I, MLB offers you a $3.99 per month package to have a subscription to constantly have a split screen. You're watching the Phillies play. Your subscription that you purchased is for Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper is mic'd up. He is constantly on a split screen, and you can have, until he is 10 feet from the dugout, a constant live mic that gives you a connection to the player, and you're always watching that player. If you're a up and coming first baseman, if you're you know you're a catcher, it's a little bit different for catchers. It's not going to be you know you're always seeing the catcher anyway. But you can have that. You can have a split screen of him run, running down to first base and hear the things that he says. Hear the things because we are so much in a connection society now because of these things that we have an opportunity that I don't feel like Major League Baseball. 
and some sports really in general haven't tapped into. Oh, I like that you came with specifics. People are always like they should market the game better, but you're you're bringing ideas to the table for the local well, market. Well, there's only one problem with what Kratz says, and I love that idea, and I wish it was possible to do that. But if you're going to have this thing running all the time, and you're going to have, let's say, Bryce Arbery gets the first, the first base coach gets in his ear, and then mm. Bryce is like, "Hey, what's the steal sign again?" <laughs> oh yeah, by the way, oh it's this. Like, you know, and as a catcher, it's hard because a catcher can't really talk. I mean, he talks to the umpire. I mean, and then yep. you put Bryce out in right field. If he's playing right field, I know he plays first base now, but he's playing right field and he's just standing there going, man, I'm working on my swing. How many times do you look out there in the outfitters going, man, my, my arm? Uh, no, that's, what out, that's what outfitters I mean, and third basemen do. Exactly. I mean, they stand there and they're like, I mean, I used to look out in the outfield, our, our outfield's going. Yeah. Sometimes I look out, Canerco's out there doing it. At first, I'm like, hey, pay attention, Paul. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's, I, I love that idea, and I wish there was a clean way to do it. Yep. I, th I think you guys hitting all of them, nail on the head, everything. It was kind of like the concept I was doing. Promote the bigger athletes, you know, Trout versus Otani matchup. So when these games come along, we got to blow this out of proportion, like even bigger, because nowadays it just seems like, oh, this guy's on the West Coast. So, you know, we got to figure out a way to make sure these matchups are made where everybody can see them. And we just got to focus on making this game even better so that the fans can enjoy this game as much more, not only in America, but all over the world. And I think another thing we could talk about is make it easier for fans to get to these games. Like make, the prices are, are huge. Like bring them down for these fans that are just going to their first game. Make it a wonderful moment for them and not just make these prices so crazy that some fans are sitting there like, man, we'll never get to a game. Make them come to these games, promote it bigger, and let's enjoy this game of baseball. And end blackouts. End blackouts, too. Oh, yeah. End the blackouts. The blackouts are ridiculous at this point. End They're the working blackouts. on it. They're working yeah. on that. That's I, know, I feel like on. we're close. I feel like we're close, but we need we need a Netflix doc for baseball. We need a follow, Ooh. whatever that is. They, like did hard it. they did it. Nobody did it. watched. They did it with the Marlins. I watched. They did it with the Giants. They did it with nice, the Giants. Right? I watched the Giants one. That's I loved that. What was that? It was like on. They called it like. It was a Showtime. Was, show was on Showtime. Show yes, it was on Showtime. We're in a different and, era now. Yeah, we're in a different era than it was. That was before. a long time ago. True. Like like That's Netflix. 2012. Like to me, F one has blown mm -hmm. up because of what they did. Baseball needs to hit that market and niche. Don't 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 hide behind the. Well, it's annoying. Well, it's real intrusive. Football is the most like they're like they don't want to give any of their secrets away. Mm. Like baseball, we're just going out and whacking a baseball and throwing it as hard as we can. Like let people in, and you're gonna all of a sudden find a a group of people that did not follow baseball and like, wow, I became a start it easy. Be a Royals. Like do it with the Royals. It will be interesting. I promise. It will be awesome. You know what they need to do as well? You know how football has hard knocks? They need to do that for a team in baseball. I think that would be unbelievable. The yeah, following round. Yeah, that's what I was kind of getting at. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I think that would be – put that on HBO and just have – follow around Mike Trout for a day or something. I mean, come on. I mean, who, who, who wouldn't want to watch that if you're a baseball fan? You know what I've always thought they should do? Make a reality show about a minor league team. They'll definitely let you do it. They do it now. Some, they like do they? The Yankees do it. It's called the Pathway to Pinstripes. It's yeah. not a yeah, full reality. It's not like Big Brother. 
No. No, I mean, like, full on. We got reality shows on fishing boats and, like, you know, tour boats. Like, there's all sorts of subcultures. Subcultures are great for reality shows. A cast of people. I feel like you could make a true, almost like, you know, like, reality-style reality show, MTV-style reality show about a minor league baseball team. Let it be crass and, you know, everyone's slumming it or long bus rides. Show the reality of the minor leagues. That would be a fun reality show. And let me follow along. I want to be involved somehow. Not totally sure. Boom. All right. Hannah was called Bull Durham. I know. Exactly. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. (laughs) Call it Bull Durham or something. (laughs) We got to slap hands. Is that how I introduce things? This is only my second episode hosting, but how many more do I have to do before I get to video (laughs) high five? You you got to come to my place. We did it down here. (laughs) I don't feel bad. I'm not even in it. So AJ's not coming to Jersey. No, they don't give high fives in Florida. All right. On this date in 1973, George Steinbrenner bought the Yankees from CBS for $10 million. The team, still owned by the Steinbrenner family, is now worth $7.1 billion. And if everything else we've said in these resolutions doesn't drive that point home, they can afford to try. Because... Whatever their income is as a team last year, the point is all of these teams are worth so much and they are worth so much more than these owners bought them for. And so if they really are hard up for cash, they can always sell the team to somebody else, make a huge profit and let that person try a little harder. We got some birthdays. Got AJ Burnett. Check out his Legends Territory over on our YouTube page. And Luis Soho. And he, all right, now Kratz hats. Yeah, the hat that the, matches the your hat, hair. The hat that matches my hair. I wanted to ask you earlier, but I couldn't. Anybody uh, know what cookies. that is? It's a repeat. You already had this one, the Cokies. I did. Ooh, Good I memory. Tell us They're about called it. the Cokies. And? It's, a, it's a frog from Puerto Rico. I wore it the day we had Kike Hernandez on, but it's the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs uh, Copa de Diversión. That's the hats they wear. A bunch of minor league teams do it. So it's the one that matched your hair. That's a very good hat. The Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs sent me a hat when they did a Scrapple Day. And Scrapple does not lend itself to being turned into a mascot or a logo. It's kind of just like a brown square. This is better. Yeah. They do some good hats. All right. Thanks, all. Thanks. Thank you for taking over, Scott. Yes, thank you. For taking over? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Not filling in, just fully taking over. Mm-hmm. He's out. He's out. You can't move into A. He's staying in South America. Hey, get in on the action with the FT fam at BetMGM. New customers use the bonus code FOUL, F-O-U-L. For a $1,500 first bet offer, download the BetMGM Sportsbook app on iOS or Android or visit BetMGM.com. Sign up and deposit at least $10 into your BetMGM Sportsbook account. Place your first wager and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if the bet loses. If that bet does lose, your bonus bets will be available once your initial wager is settled. Gambling problem or concern? Call 1-800-GAMBLING. 